You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Today we present our Brothers War Top 5s. The best cards for modern, the best cards for pioneer, the most overrated, and the most fun to brew. We also hear from Mana Symbol with an MTG Vegas tournament report. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan, and I'm joined today. Where are you, Zach? <laughs> All the way from Ontario, Canada. <laughs> the international Man of Mystery. It's Zach Mana Symbol Ryle. <laughs> Did I get that right, Zach? Are you in Canada? I'm actually in Canada. I'm at home. Uh, I was the other week, and uh, then I was in Vegas, and now I'm back. I took at least three flights in two weeks so that was a whole hectic hullabaloo but i'm finally back in the homeland true north strong and free so i'm looking at you right now in the comfort of your own home yes absolutely. that's gotta feel good it, it really does and uh and i would be looking at you in the comfort of jerusalem but you don't have a camera on but that's okay because our viewers can't see you either but i'm sure some fabulous pictures are going to come out of your uh, trip here <laughs> yeah so just you and me today we are getting ready to kick off Brothers War Season 16 of Faithless Brewing. I believe the set goes live, what, Thursday? Is that right? On Magic Online? Oh, gosh. I, I Don't ask me. I know the league ends in four days, I believe. So it's on the 15th the league goes. That's Tuesday. So maybe, yeah, Wednesday or Thursday. That's, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, it was very fragmented this time, where it was like, oh, it's the paper pre-release, and then the paper legality is first, and then on something crazy. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like the little gap. Like, it, sometimes we just need a breather after they dump all the cards. I mean, we did two-plus shows just going through all the cards, so if you want to hear just endless talk about spoiler, 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 check out the last two shows. We went, we went through all of that with David and Emmy. Today... I want to kind of bring all that together, take a step back and say, okay, we see on the cards, which ones actually matter. So if we put together some top five lists for modern, for pioneer, for cards that are just fun or for cards that are perhaps overrated, question mark. So that's the agenda for today. But before we get into all that, we also just want to hear a little bit from Zach, because like you said, you've been traveling all over the place and you were at MTG Vegas. Yeah, MTG 30, big event. I've got my uh, Arcane Signet and my Richard Garfield PhD here, which I will eventually part with for cards that I can play in formats that I play. Does the Richard Garfield PhD have the like the fake collector's back on it, or is it a real Ooh, card back? I, 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 I think it's a real magic card. Ah, yeah. I'm not interested then. It's a real magic card. If it doesn't card. have the Black Lotus back, I'm not interested. It's got a little uh, Magic 30 stamp on it, though. That's pretty cool. Yeah, nice. I got a bunch of swag from there. I have a Thopter pin. Nice, beautiful Thopter pin. I've got the Magic 30 pin. I got the denim jacket, which is actually really, really nice. Um, so I lo love the denim jacket. Oh my gosh. It's, um, 
it, it's a denim jacket and it's uh, black, got a bunch of patches all over it, but they're all magic themed. So it has like the deck master on one shoulder and on the other shoulder, it's like expert level expansion, which is like just, it's really well done. Um, and it's very comfortable material. Same with the, um, what do they call it? Like a three quarter tee. It's like the baseball t-shirt. Um, with the Magic 30 logo okay, on the front. Yeah. And that's uh, also really, just really nice material. I, I really, I've seen some bands live and uh, checked out and bought some of their merch. And this is considerably more comfortable uh, for around that kind of price. So I'm really happy about uh, a lot of the merch they had. That sounds like you made out like a bandit. Well, I, <laughs> I paid a bit, but you know what? It was, it was worth it. And uh, it was a very special event to get to take part in. A fair trade bandit, we could say. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it was a huge event, uh, and I will get into the details of my trip. But before I do, we probably have a little bit of housekeeping to do here, because if you love what we do, you can support us at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing, uh, and that gets you a number of perks, doesn't it, Dan? That's right. You get access to our Discord. You know, I should have tied in with a merch right there. You set it up perfectly, and I just totally whiffed on the handle. <laughs> well, that's okay because we've got our own. We've got our own merch. I was playing with the Faithless Brewing playmat this week. I've got a Faithless Brewing sticker on my deck box that I take with me to uh, every competitive event I play. Yeah, I've got. I've made my water bottle into a Faithless Brewing water bottle. Oh, so did I. Pictures of that all over the Middle East. <laughs> I took mine all over the Caribbean, New Orleans. Um, had it in Vegas. So if you want to get in on this top tier DIY swag or just want to show us some support come and join our discord we got a wonderful community there yeah awesome people like-minded brewers just throwing ideas around all the time and especially at the beginning of a new set that's the perfect time to get in on the action patreon.com slash faithless brewing that's where you can go to sign up and we'd love to see you there yep we've also got the uh, faithless brewing youtube where these episodes go up if your preferred podcast listening method is youtube you can do that there as well and sometimes there's even uh, other videos that get made and posted up there. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Not for a while now, but sometimes, perhaps sometime soon there will be. We'll see. Yeah, we'll, 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 figure, out, we'll figure out a way to do more of that. But uh, one of the great things you can get from the Discord is meeting and greeting with uh, some of your fabulous peers, because that's how I met Dr. Jiggy Wiggy. That's how I met Brian. That's how we started the Serum Visions podcast. And that's how I ended up going to Vegas. Um, because, uh, I was sharing a room with, uh, d both Dr. Jiggy Wiggy and someone, uh, else from the Discord, Texas Toph. Shout out to you, Toph. You're a cool guy. It was great to meet you. So, um, split the accommodations. That was nice. I flew into, uh, Vegas on the Thursday. On the Friday was the, uh, sort of outside start of the event. So, uh, we went, uh, got our badges and then it started, uh, properly the next day with uh, all sorts of uh, different events. So we, uh, there was a huge Game Nights broadcast happening on the main stage. Um, so they played a big game of Commander, recorded all that. And then there were panels throughout the weekend that uh, you could uh, just go freely and uh, watch different departments from uh, Wizards talking about different things. Uh, the State of Paper, Aaron Forsyth was up there talking about that. Um, they had uh, uh, a whole bunch of people from their world design and lore teams uh, fielding questions from the audience. Um, so that all that stuff, really, really cool. Mark Rosewater's talk uh, was excellent. He's just such a such a great part of that team, and uh, such a his all his energy, really, really 
I think it's been like a, a big battery to uh, help magic be as alive and vibrant as it is. But that's not what I was there for. I was there to play for a potential spot in the beta draft. So there were four tournaments with, what was it, 244 players each? Dan, it was some very strange number, 224? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, 256, maybe. No, 224 sounds right. It wasn't 256, because that was the logical number. Uh, and they didn't okay. do that. Um, anywho, so each of those four flights, let's call them uh, the top eight would feed into a 32 player event single elimination and then the top eight of that uh would get to participate in a booster draft uh the deck i took as i alluded to was prison tron i'd been doing spectacularly with it online uh and i felt very confident about that and uh like um a lot of players wouldn't quite know how to play around it so let me ask you zach those events like as i was looking at the sheet of events like oh that's the main event because I'm a modern player. But when you were there, did, did it feel like a main event? Or no, was it just like one all. of the things happening in the hall? It was just one of the things happening in the hall. Um, another thing that was happening was Worlds. Right, right. The whole weekend, Worlds was going on. So that was in a... It was actually opposite. Um, so if you were to go to one side of the hall, that's where they had the main stage. Behind that was the merch area. And then if you went all the way to the other side, like probably... 400 feet like the opposite end of the convention hall there was a setup with uh the the sort of broadcasting area with the desk uh, that's where you saw cory baumeister and alias v and and all those people doing their broadcast and behind them was um uh several banks of computers where everyone was playing for the arena portions of worlds and, and it was all held over there um they actually had a screen nearby that you could watch the live uh twitch feed of worlds uh even though it was happening right behind that the oddest thing about it for me was there was literally no audio so i <laughs> i i made the comment at the time and i stick by it I, i'm really annoyed that like the people who were physically the closest who traveled the furthest to be at that event had the worst possible kind of viewing experience of it i i don't get that at all there was almost no drive for people to watch any of it at all at any point it was like it was just like a thing that was happening that was over there you know, it, it was, I don't know. It was very strange. So it was a proper, it was a proper esports setup with like terminals facing each other and yeah, it everyone's just, just clicking away. There just wasn't any, headsets on. there wasn't any, when there was a feature match going on, which was a thing that was happening, the actual physical people there couldn't participate in any way. It... It's like if you went to a stadium and there was a soccer game going on, but everyone had to stay in the area with, like, the restaurants. You know how that's, like, under the seats? Like, you couldn't actually go to the seats. But, <laughs> well, yeah, they got TVs out there. Yeah, but they you got can, TVs in the bars, watch what's right? Happening so it's like you can, you can watch it while you're in line for your Burger King or your, you know, $29 hot dog. But you can feel the thrumming of excitement in the Right, yeah. The I mean, the shapes. game is happening somewhere in the same building as you. Isn't that exciting? So... A lot of people said to me, like, oh, but then the crowd's going to give away all the... It, and then, and I was like, you know what? There has to be a way to make the... You know? <laughs> like, I don't... Uh, games like League of Legends and Defense of the Ancients have 
uh, Dota have hidden information. There's a thing called Fog of War where the teams can't see each other unless they can see each other, like on on the on the map. Like they managed okay. to do it. How how can we not? Anyway, I actually had no idea that that's what Dota stood for. Thank yeah. you for that. Now I don't have to ask. <laughs> it, it doesn't anymore. It's kind of like how KFC officially changed to KFC. They're no longer Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's just KFC. It technically mm. stands for that, but it doesn't anymore. Like, that's just their company name. Anywho, um, so that was going on. Well, think about this, Zach. Think about this. You ended up witnessing the end of the Magic Esports era. I mean, that's something. Because if I understand correctly, uh, Huey Jensen confirmed that Worlds going forward will be in paper, and I believe that the Pro Tours are also going to be tabletop starting next year. So this could have been the very last Esports tournament. I know he was there, and I know they were talking about that at some point. Um, And uh, I am overjoyed to hear that. I really am. Uh, I think that's where Magic belongs, is on, on tabletop being played with paper cards. Can I ask you one other question about the event as a whole? Yeah. Like many Magic fans and NASCAR fans, I, I often am just watching for the crashes now. Right. Watching for the scandals and the drama. <laughs> one of the things that was going around on Twitter on the first day, which I don't know if this actually, you felt this as an attendee, but people were saying there's not nearly enough space. Like people have to stand in the hallway to get a game. There's no room at all to play uploading pictures of the command zone, which was totally empty, but you know, you couldn't buy a ticket to the command zone because they said it was sold out. So people were just showing up and unable to get a proper game except in their hotel room. Is that true? Or was that just Twitter hype? So the, the command zone was there. It was not full that those were all facts. Uh, it was not full of people because uh, I'm assuming the people who bought their actual tickets for that were milling about. There were some people playing in there, but and it got better over the weekend. Like, I think a lot of the people who bought their tickets for that showed up on Saturday and, and then stayed Saturday, Sunday. There was an ungodly amount of table space in that hall in general that you could just go and play at. And then if a, an official event was launching and assigned to that spot, you'd have to move. Um, but there was hmm. more than enough. So it was color coded. So they had the white section, the black section, the blue section, the red section, the green section. And I think they had one extra color. Uh, so... If you picked a section that wasn't going to be used, so like limited events were all in like the blue section and all all those high stakes modern events were in like uh, the black section, for example. So if you just picked one of those colors that wasn't being used, there was tons of tables you could play at. Okay, that's good. I know Saffron Olive had some kind of comment about how there was no tables and they had to play outside. Uh, The tables outside were really nice and actually the weather was great for it all weekend. Uh, the only problem was at night where when, <laughs> when the sun went down and there was no light for them to play with. Uh, so it was that was not the greatest thing ever. Um, but I mean, it was like the average GP to me where it's just like there's more tables than are being used pretty much all the time. Just you can just find a spot. Uh, not I, I wasn't looking for one, so I, I didn't notice a lack of it. Um, but hmm. it, it seemed fine to me. Seems like it was a little blown okay, out of Okay, that's encouraging. Yeah. Glad to hear from someone who was there firsthand. Yeah, the tricky thing for me was, uh, because I only had a ticket for one event, but I was there for three days of convention, they said that there were going to be a limited number of on-demand events. On the first day, there were basically none. Uh, the second and third day, they had some like mystery booster and some unfinity um, but no constructed events were, were uh, fired on demand and there were no additional constructed events to play in in person. So that was a little disappointing, but eh, it's, it is what it is. 
maybe you didn't demand hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> you actually have to like demand it. You have to like stand outside the registration booth and chant angrily. Yes. Yeah. Maybe I should. Like no, mob. I should have stood there and tweeted, tweeted angrily. That's it. That's what you should have done. Well, before I forget, I mean, how did the event go? So did you end up walking away with any Legends packs or perhaps Italian Legends packs? <laughs> so uh, I didn't, although a friend of the podcast and uh, Yogg Noda fan Darshik sure did. Uh, he played in uh, one of the events oh, yeah. and he managed to get uh, two packs of Italian Legends that were mailed to him or will be mailed to him um, because apparently they miscounted the number of packs that they brought <laughs> to the event and uh, they didn't have enough to give away on site. So they will be mailed to him. Um, <laughs> right now, someone is frantically rummaging around that warehouse trying to dig, dig up some more Italian <laughs> Oh, no. We need, no, I think it was just that they didn't bring uh, enough from Seattle down to Vegas. Um, but for me, uh, I started out 2-0, beat uh, Black Red Scam mid-range thing, uh, beat Merktide. Uh, then I uh, lost to Burn in typical me fashion. Uh, and then I conceded to uh, someone. We, we went to time. Uh, he was playing the like the four color or the the blue white Renin six control deck. Um, mm. We went to time. I managed to make it to time without losing. But he had fairy emblem. I was definitely going to lose that game. Uh, so I just conceded. I, I don't have that color, kind of killer instinct. And two one one trying to win out on the day. I just I just gave it to to the other guy. He seemed to uh, have a great attitude. Had a good deck. Uh, and then the judge came up to get his signature afterwards. So apparently he was a known human being. But I. I don't know who it was, um, but very nice human. Great magic player. That man, Albert Einstein. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that boy grew up to be <laughs> Albert Einstein. No, anyway. So uh, that was my event. I feel very strongly about Prison Tron. Uh, last week, I made a top eight at a paper 1K here in Toronto. Oh, congratulations. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, good. You've been putting up awesome results. So you went like, what, 14 and... Oh, some leagues last my, week. my magic online result with prison tron right now is somewhere around like 35 and 5 like it, it's insane oh my god yeah it's nuts wow. um it's very 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 good against black red and murktide because chalice on one is very very powerful and uh in snaring bridge they have very few answers for uh and nothing in your deck is that expensive so when you get blood moon usually you just cast a bridge, cast a mystic forge. Eventually you find enough lands and you'll win with Karn or just walking blista. Well, enjoy that success. Haywire might is coming for you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm not petrified of it, but it's definitely going to give, um, some of these decks a, a better, uh, game one out. Although Karn still shuts it down. So there's counterplay, but there's also cards coming to improve the Prison Tron deck. So I guess that's a pretty natural segue. Just final thoughts on MTG30. It was an amazing event for me as a human being. Um, just to go there to finally meet Arun. That's uh, Dr. Jiggywiggy, um, Darshik, and Texas Toph. Uh, both of those people from the Discord. Fabulous human beings. And for some reason, none of them had evening plans. Like, choices of things they wanted to do after the event. So I got to pick almost all of those. So uh, Darshik <laughs> made the joke at one point. He's like, I think we went to three tiki places in three days. And I was like, yeah, but they were all different. <laughs> so uh, I got to explore the um, the uh, kaleidoscope of different Vegas styles of things. Um, we had some good pictures from that. You can take the boy out of the cruise, but you can't take the cruise out of the boy. <laughs> 
<laughs> Still living that tiki life. Well, the funny thing about it is it's like an American-generated style, so it's like, but it, I guess it has a lot of elements from the Caribbean. And I will tell you that uh, Rune and I on last night had the greatest pizza I have ever had in my life. I didn't know Detroit-style pizza was such a thing. Um... Uh, it, it is I'm not familiar with that yeah, Detroit style. It's like a, it's kind of like Chicago deep dish, but it's different. I, I don't know exactly how, although I was reading an article about it this week because I have to make it for myself at some point soon because it was so freaking good. I'm not even a big pineapple on pizza guy, but Arun was like, the first one we're getting is this one. It's pineapple on pizza with ham. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And it was one of the best things I've ever eaten. I just can't. Uh, ah. It was so good. So good. I can't do pineapple on pizza. That's just, that's a sin. I used to that's feel the same way. God. I used to feel the same way. And now I'm questioning my identity. I had uh, an experience in Vegas and, you know, I could go with whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Or maybe I'm, you know, transitioning to a point in my life where I'm uh, pineapple positive. Oh, God. Okay, on that note, let's take a look at some cards. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk about our top five most impactful pizza toppings. Exactly. <laughs> These are the pizza toppings that will either improve Prison Tron or totally destroy it. And also the modern format at large. I got my top five for modern, top five for pioneer, top five that I'm personally excited to brew with. And just for fun, a little section on overrated cards, top five overrated. Yeah, that sounds like fun. So I'll go through the lists and Zach, you can heckle me, tell me how crazy I am, weigh in on these cards and help set the record straight because I know you weren't able to record with us during the proper preview shows. Yeah, well, I will heckle and jekyll to my heart's desire. So let's start in modern. Top five most impactful. And what I mean by this is, you know, when the dust has settled, a few months down the road. Will the Brothers War have affected your life in any way whatsoever? Will you still be seeing these cards played in modern tournaments near you? Number one card in this respect, Haywire Might. Very simple card. One mana, one one insect. When it dies, you gain two life, and its activated ability, pay a green, sack it, exile a non-creature artifact or enchantment. So... Primarily an Urza Saga target. You can also put it in your Karn Wishboard. It's a card that I think, you know, everyone understands that this is cheaper than the current alternatives. Pretty easy to include this, especially now that Leyline Binding is so prevalent in the metagame that, yeah, I think you should expect to see some number of Haywire Mites going forward. Absolutely. Very likely to be a staple, especially with uh, Urza Saga still being a widely played card. Might see um, some of the uh, Hammer Time decks splash into green for just this or potentially for more. I don't know what else they would want from that, but going to be uh, going to be definitely something that is a little, little staple of your uh, toolbox decks. Number two, I was actually struggling here to find cards that are impactful and modern. I think that this card is going to be good, but I could be totally wrong. Number two, I have the Stone Brain. I also think it's going to be good, so... With, with experience of okay, the archetype. Good. I'm fairly certain this is, this is uh, another toolbox staple. So we're talking about the Stone Brain, a colorless Necromentia Amordigo effect. It's two to cast, two to activate. Name any card, search their deck for up to four copies of that card. 
And then if any of the cards that you exile that way were from their hand, they get to draw a card to replace it. So very, very similar to Unmoored Ego. Because it's an artifact, you can put it in your card and wishboard. So I think that's maybe how Zach is approaching this. But I'm curious if just generic decks that didn't have access to black might find that they actually want to use a stone brain as just a fair sideboard card. Like if you really can't beat creativity or you can't think of any sideboard card for it, sure, throw some stone brains in your sideboard and hope for the best. It's certainly possible. And I mean, for decks like uh, any of the control decks in modern, for example, um, blue white or, or the domain blue white or whatever they are, being able to pay for it in installments is often kind of important. Uh, you, you play two on the front, and if it gets countered, you only paid two. You didn't have to pay the full three or four. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And something I didn't really appreciate when we were first talking about the card. But yeah, you look at it, and it's like, oh, it's four mana total, so it's got to be worse than Necromentia, which is three. But actually, it's probably better, right? Like, it's better to just pay two and two for the exact reason you just said. I mean, it can be. It, cer- it certainly can be. It certainly can be. There, there's certainly going to be situations where that is ideal. Uh, it's easier to play this on turn three and hold up a spell pierce or something like that. And are you putting the stone brain into your Karn wishboard? 110%. And I think, I think I'm going to start off uh, when the new set comes out with uh, one in the main deck as well. Uh, with Prison Tron, you can fetch it with Inventor's Fair. And it's also just not always going to be a terrible natural draw uh, if you know your opponent's deck list well enough. All right, the third most impactful card in modern. I mean, we're already reaching here. I'm putting Scrapwork Mutt, a very minor upgrade for red-based Vengevine decks. It will take them from tier 3 all the way up to tier 2.5, possibly tier 2. Is this Anthony Menino's new best card in modern? I think it might be the best card in modern. (laughs) It may be. (laughs) I mean, it's a card that's, you know, you look at it, it's 2 to cast, ETB Rummage, and it unearths for 2 for 1 in a red. For another rummage. Very, very similar to Rotting Rats, except that instead of your opponent discarding, you withdraw a card. Shifts things over to red where you have, you know, exciting options like Blazing Rootwalla, Ox of Agonis. There's like there's a lot of good reasons to play like a red-based Vengevine deck, but without access to the zombie package, it's like a it's like a different configuration. So I think the scrapwork mutt is a clear upgrade for that strategy specifically. And you know, for that reason alone, I think it will at least make an impact. Yeah, and uh, I had someone else mention um, there, there's a blue one that's, I think, part of basically the same cycle. Um, hold on. Let me get the card. Combat Courier. Combat Courier. That's the one you're thinking yes, of? Yes, Combat Courier. That's, I think you may be the one who mentioned that, but th- these are both cards that can get milled into the graveyard and exist there for value in a way that um, is just prone to being broken, let's say. Yeah, I like cheap unearth effects. Um, there's combat career. There's a one called Yoshin Frontrunner. That's like a little more aggressive. I don't know what to do with these cards yet, but I like the fact that they exist. I'm just uh, jumping down to our Pioneer section and seeing that they're not mentioned. So just so we know, for the for the dredgeless dredge decks, uh, I don't know that they need more ways to trigger Prize Amalgam, but food for thought. Oh, and Pioneer. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So number four on my modern most impactful list, and again, this is a bit of a reach. I'm putting Phyrexian Dragon Engine, one of the early previews. This is a card that you'll put 1x for your Goblin Engineer to find. 2-2 two, two double strike for three, unearths for five. 
when it comes into play from your graveyard, you have the option to do the Oxygonus thing, discard your hand, draw three. Kind of interesting that they make it optional, so if you really don't want to discard your hand, you don't have to. Nice that because it costs three, you can just return it with Goblin Engineer's tap ability. You can return it with Unearth or Recommission if you're in Pioneer. Can't return it with Emery because that won't satisfy the condition, but I think between all of that, you know, it's still enough to earn some play as a 1x, and the effect is very powerful. Yeah, definitely looks like a fine little creature. Like, let's say that you're in Modern and you've got some kind of deck that maybe you're trying to reanimate Archon of Cruelty or something like that. But you're also playing Goblin Engineer, so it's not the end of the world to persist the Dragon Engine just to draw cards. No, and uh, Goblin Engineer with a history of being able to just sit there and generate value if it's not killed. And rounding out the top five, I have Third Path Iconoclast. This is Young Pyromancer, but in Is It Colors, and the, the tokens it generates are Artifact Soldiers. I'm not a huge believer in this card, but it's cheap. It does what it says. We know how to enable cards like this. Because the tokens it generates are artifacts, I mean, if you wanted to pair it with Urza Saga, you could. I think that the home that people are considering in Modern is, well, what about Grinding Breach? Right? Like, it's kind of a juke plan there. We've seen them play Monastery Mentor in ancient iterations. Sometimes they play Sahili Sublime Artificer. There is, like, a weird combo you can do where... If you have Breach and Station and some zero drop and the third path Iconoclast in play, you end up milling both players equal amounts. So that, in theory, kills them without the need for Thassa's Oracle, but I think that probably isn't a huge factor because why not just kill them with Thassa's Oracle? Well, more importantly, if you're too far into your own deck first, like if you only have 20 cards left and your opponent still has 40, yeah. that it doesn't work. Correct. You, you cannot kill them that way. But that said, I, I do believe that this card has a lot, a lot of potential. I like it a lot. I mean, uh, I'm a huge fan of Urza decks in general, but this being a two-cost non-legendary creature, um, Psy is uh, a card that doesn't see a lot of play, but is actually quite powerful. Like, if you've ever resolved it in the modern format with any number of artifacts to play afterwards, it is very, very good. And obviously, Psy has some other text and creates flying tokens. But I think this is the kind of thing that shouldn't be underestimated. Um, and time will tell whether or not it actually finds a slot. But it being at two mana is big game. Okay, so those are my top five most impactful for modern. A few that narrowly missed... Honorable mentions, we could say Diabolic Intent. I actually put this on my overrated list, so we'll talk about this card at greater length there, but I do have to acknowledge that people are trying this. Aspiring Spike tested it out today. He said he got a couple of four ones. Not sure if he actually thinks the card is good or not, but I gotta hand it to him. He's finding some success with the card, so it's entirely possible that I am wrong about Diabolic Intent, but I do think it's overrated. I have some ideas for it that don't look terrible, um, so I'm interested to see what what we can do with that. Uh, I think it's a it's a classic Dan take of you can't just put this in any established deck and expect it to be better than what they have. It's not going to do that. Uh, it doesn't belong in Yogmoth. Uh, it doesn't belong in Red Black. There's lots of decks that exist already. This does not belong in. Um, but you have to, if you if you jump through a couple of hoops, yeah. it might be worth doing. Yeah, part of the reason that I put it in the overrated section was because as I was browsing to see what people were saying about this, almost everything that people were proposing sounded terrible to me. I agree. 
but Spike's list sounded good. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, he's approaching this from like, you know, from the ground up. Right. And I think he's onto something there. So yeah. may- maybe this will turn out to be an important card in modern. My personal belief is that it might work in some kind of blue, black or Esper Urza deck, uh, because there are so many different combos you can have in a deck like that. And they don't all involve creatures, specifically Thopter Sword, but you can also fetch something like Hullbreaker Horror or whatever you need. Another card that almost made the cut, Machine Over Matter. We actually didn't talk about this one. It's one in a blue instant to balance any permanent. However, you get a discount. If you control an artifact creature, it only costs blue. And at that point, it's the cheapest balance anything effect in the entire game of Magic. Do you think that that is a desirable effect? Like if I were playing, I don't know, Affinity, would I want access to that one blue balance anything? With Leyline Binding being the format now, maybe? Um... But obviously they get to replay it again. It's a very niche card, but it's one that we shouldn't um, forget about. There's a similar-ish uh, card in that it's very good. There's It's a single blue to bounce a creature or enchantment. Is that right? Um, and that sees play occasionally. That one, I think, only bounces the opponent's creatures or enchantments. True. The stern dismissal. Yeah. This one can bounce your own thought monitor, for example. So True. it's like a little bit more flexible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um. I'm not sure, but it's certainly something to remember that it exists. Uh, and it is important for decks like that because, again, bouncing someone's uh, stony silence for a turn or or otherwise can be a, a game-breaking uh, card to play. True. Another near-miss for me is Combat Thresher. This is the prototype double-strike creature that draws a card when it ETBs. Pretty cheap to cast it as a prototype, but it's only three mana to get your 1-1 one, one double strike cantrip. Seven to cast as a 3-3 three, three double strike. These are not overwhelming stats, but this is maybe the only prototype card that actually encourages you to blink it, that doesn't punish you for cheating into play. Right? Most of the other ones have uh, if you cast it clause, so there's, n- there's like no incentive to do anything tricky with them. Combat Thresher, I could almost see it. It's like not quite powerful enough, but... It's not that bad. I'm a huge fan of this card. Huge fan. It's very fair, but if you if you have a way to exploit it, it's exploitable. Uh, I don't I don't know what else is, and it's a white card that's just like reasonably costed that says draw a card when it enters the battlefield. Like, I think it's great. I think this is a great. It's a great little card. I don't know if it's good enough, um, but it's it's cool. I, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. I don't know what else there is to say about it other than I like it a lot. And finally, rounding out the modern honorable mentions, Brotherhood's End. I think most people evaluating this card for modern would say it's worse than engineered explosives. If you want the flexibility of killing creatures or artifacts, which is what Brotherhood's End offers you, why not just use EE? And one of the answers to that is, well, let's say you're an Obosh red deck. Like... Yeah, you're happy to have this now in your sideboard. So for that reason alone, I think you'll see this card cast some of the time. Yeah, it's a very interesting split card with the um, sort of, let's say, Shatterstorm half. Obviously, it's not Shatterstorm, but it's it's close. Although it doesn't hit any of their large uh, casting cost artifacts if you're playing against like an actual affinity deck. Um, But it will wipe out all of Hammer Time's uh, equipment, basically, except for the Cauldra. Uh, and all their constructs. And and on the flip side, it's, uh, what do we call it? Like an anger of the gods effect, but it doesn't have the exile. So the, the trick for me is, like, if affinity's popular, you need a better card than this. 
And if Dredge is popular, you need a better card than this. So it's flexible, and I, I like this card a lot. I just don't know if it's ever actually going to be the card you need, because I think Modern so often puts you in the spot where it's like, no, you you need the specific effect, and you the, mm. the ways in which that this is medium on both sides are actually very punishing sometimes. Choices are overrated in Modern these days. <laughs> We want cards that efficiently say kill anything you want, no questions asked. Well, or or things that are very specifically targeted and very powerful, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this this really isn't either of those things. However, 100% going to be a 504 copies in Hayashi sideboard. 100%. <laughs> it, it will happen. It might even be a main deck. All right. So from modern, we jump now to the top five most impactful for Pioneer. For Pioneer, we need a little bit of outside help. Who better than our guy in Buenos Aires? Emi Sagasti, you know him as More to Light. Emi, welcome. Hey, yo, thanks, Dan. I mean, who better? <laughs> the answer, of course, would be David. Yeah, I was trying to get a little uh, fake out there. You have to pretend to be David. Do your David impersonation. <laughs> oh, sorry, 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 buddy. Yeah, then, so we're going to Pioneer. <laughs> or, of course, the most important card will be a Quixis medium. <laughs> what is the mediumest of your card? I should say, David bears no responsibility for anything stupid I say on this episode. These are just my rankings. <laughs> for which I invite Mord to now join Zach in heckling me. <laughs> Let's take a look at the top five most impactful for Pioneer. And I'm going to start off with a safe choice. A coward's choice, David might say. <laughs> Number one most impactful card for Pioneer is Brushland slash Underground River. These are the allied paid lands, which are new to the formats. For some reason in Pioneer, we still don't have allied fast lands. So if you want to play like, you know, your, your Llanowar Elf deck and a second color, you're kind of forced to choose from janky lands. We've seen what a big difference the Carpluzan Forest made in the last set, right? It finally made these green-red aggro decks feel like not embarrassing so i'm, I'm assuming that brushland will do the same thing for green whites and perhaps in a, in a lesser way underground river for blue black yeah i'm very excited to just have that that closed up and yes it's a very safe choice but you know what we gotta congratulate wizards for just doing the thing yay you did the thing you didn't make <laughs> us wait exactly finally did the thing just give us fast logs now yeah well here's a question I mean, how many times have they said we can't reprint the Fastlands because there's specific locations on Mirrodin? Yeah. We know we're going to Phyrexia in like two sets. Right. Are we going to see them there? I hope so, but also, and I just want to be very clear on this. Yes, you can. All right? They, they put Dragon <laughs> Skull Summit on Ixalan, and they had a flavor text that explained that there are no such things as dragons on Ixalan, but some people <laughs> call the dinosaurs dragons, and that's okay. Like, what... That was none, very funny. none of the I don't <laughs> it's you can do it you can do it just do it you're smart people you can do this <laughs> I don't get it black cleave yeah the, the 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 cliffs yeah they're they're sharp so we call them cleave and and they're black uh the the razor venge 
Thicket? Is that the one? It's like, oh, yeah, the grass. Razor Verge. Yeah, Razor Verge. Oh, it, it's not actually made of razors. It's just kind of stiff grass. It's like getting a paper cut. So we, we called it the Razor I mean, it's not actually razors. Sea Chrome Coast. Yeah, we call it we call it Chrome because the it's there's a kind of metal in the rocks, and it's kind of metallic looking. The sun can be metalized. Like, like, it's not uncommon for sun to be shiny and reflective. Right. So. And it's not uncommon for there to be metal, like, in rock. Like, little little bits of, like, shiny filament. So, I just, I just, it's just such a terrible excuse, in my opinion. So, I think it's the other way around. I think they have been using that as an excuse, because for the last two years, they have already known they're going to put that in Mirrodin. Right. So it's like, no, no, we can do it. We have to do it in Mirrodin. It's not we have to. It's we have already done it. Right, but I just, uh, it just, it's just so annoying for the Pioneer format to have to suffer through that waiting area. Oh yeah, that sucks. It slows the format so much. It has printed in like a corset. Give me something weird. Right. It's like when Modern had to go through several years of there being only enemy fetch lands. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So apart from the pain lands. Which actual spells are going to make an impact in Pioneer? It was tough to choose because, you know, the sets these days, they have a lot of cards that could make a difference. I think we do a pretty good job on this podcast of identifying cards that will be useful, that will be playable. It's a lot harder to gauge, like, how strong the resulting decks will be, and so often, like, the final rankings I propose end up sounding laughable. The same thing will probably happen here. Like, this next card here, which I'm listing as my number two card, Evangel of Synthesis. I believe in this card. The decks that it will create, how good will they be? I really have no idea. But I believe that what Evangel of Synthesis brings to the table... Well, Evangel of Synthesis. Why do I keep putting this card in? Evangel of Synthesis. (laughs) I can't pronounce this. Why do we keep using that word? We should buy the S word from the podcast. Oh, easy there. Synthesizers are great. You just need to... Exactly. You just needed to be familiar. You, you, just, you just needed to be familiar with the word from a younger age, and it's just messing with you because you never learned to say it right the first time. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So the evangel, it's basically a Rafine's informant with more upside. It doesn't die to stomp. It has some serious aggressive potential. Can attack as a three-three menace. It's somewhere between Rafine's informant and Ledger Shredder. Rafine's Informant, okay, that's not like a world-beating card, but it is a, a staple in several archetypes. Will Evangel lead to Esper Greasefang? Can you just pair it with Ledger Shredder and play Demir midrange? Maybe we go back to those Rafine Canive aggro decks. I think that this is going to be a useful tool and just a, an impressive card overall, even though it's definitely like very medium in its power band. Yeah, I like it. Uh, D- David's already got a couple of brews that he showed uh, us with, with this <laughs> card, and... Um... I also think it's pretty medium, but then again, as long as you're taking advantage of the the draw discard, if there's something that you want in your graveyard, it's fine. Uh, Blue-black as a color combination, I'm not convinced that you want a 3-3 menace, even if it's only two mana, but eh. Yeah, the biggest problem with this card is on its colors in being exactly limited. Right, if it was blue-white, it might be a little bit better. Oh, yeah. If it was an artifact... Then we're talking. But nevertheless, it's, it's cheap and it does what it says, so I think we will see this card making an impact. It's a cheap, efficient threat. The next card, number three in Pioneer, Cityscape Leveler. There's a lot of cards in this set that you can imagine putting them in a car and wishboard. 
we talked about haywire might we talked about the stone brain uh more you were suggesting that woodcaller automaton might be the card that you know breaks karn and pioneer because of the ritual effect so i feel like one of those cards should make the top five list and i'm going to give that slot to cityscape leveler because i think that in addition to being a viable karn target like more you were suggesting it replaces meteor golem it's also just like a very, very powerful card. And I didn't really process this at the time. Like David just in passing mentioned, what if it's good enough to just ramp to Cityscape Leveler? And the more I thought about that, the more I'm like, yeah, why not? I mean, it's like a small Ulamog. It's a cast trigger for eight, destroy one thing, an attack trigger, destroy another thing. So it's almost got more upside there. If it gets countered, you get to unearth it. So you are kind of guaranteed value if you mill it with Cavalier of Thorns. Like in, you know, the um, the green ramp deck that we sometimes will see in Pioneer that splashes for a Dragon Rotatarka on the top. Maybe City Tape Leveler is just good enough. You also still get the cast trigger if it gets countered. So that's pretty good as well. You will. You'll get the cast trigger and you'll get the unearth. Yep. So you'll get two permanents, eight damage potentially. I mean, is this card good enough even for consideration in modern Tron? I don't think so, because in Modern Tron, it's really important to be able to hit your opponent's lands when necessary, and this doesn't. Like, when your opponent is playing a slow deck, the way you win is by going for the lands with Karn, Ulamog, etc. Even little Karn, we... Look at Metal Coding. Yeah. Yeah. On the flip side, I do think this isn't the worst ever uh, substitute for something like Meteor Golem. So, if you're going to go that route of uh, Meteor Golem 7 mana 3-3 when it enters the battlefield, destroy target permanent. If that's a card you've ever considered, if that's a card you've ever registered, then Cityscape Leveler is, uh, in some ways, a serious upgrade on that. Yeah, another thing that commonly happens in, in Pioneer is they'll play a Karn, they'll downtick, they'll get Sky Sovereign. You, on your turn, are like, oh my gosh, I gotta kill that Karn, and you throw your resources at it and kill it, and then the game continues. And then they have a Sky Sovereign that they eventually just kill you with, because it's actually not that easy to kill a big threat. So Cityscape Leveler, in a similar way, if they just downtick and get the Cityscape Leveler, you've got to kill a Karn, and then you still have to beat the Leveler later in the game, which is not that easy. It's easier said than done. This guy's huge. Yep. 8-8 Trample is just, that's a, that is a body. All right, number four, most impactful for Pioneer, Arcane Proxy. And I'm putting this here out of deference to David, our Pioneer expert. He loves this card. He said it would be a top five card in the set. I don't quite see it. Like, I actually have this on my overrated list, but I'm also putting it here because <laughs> despite being overrated, it he might be right. The Lily of the Veil effect. Yeah. It's playable, just not as playable as people wanted it to. I mean, if it's any good, it's because of the interaction with See the Truth which lets you draw three cards for the low price of three mana. That's, that's kind of like Shardless Agent into Ancestral Visions. So we're like doing Legacy now, I guess. <laughs> that would be the ceiling. I'm not sure what the floor is for Arcane Proxy. So we'll have to see on that. And in my fifth spot, I wanted to put a black card. There are several to choose from. We talked about Go for the Throat, we talked about Gix, we talked about the equipment, the Transmogrant's Crown, but the card that I like best of all of them is the Blade Whip Transmogrant, the 3-1 zombie that comes back sometimes from the graveyard. Mainly because it's a zombie, and I, I am curious if this will help zombies be like a little bit more of a presence in Pioneer. I think it's not only this, but the accumulation of all the small upgrades they're getting, right? 
I hope so. I mean, all these cars feel like upgrades, but the archetype itself has been so lackluster lately that maybe it's like, you know, <laughs> we're just wasting our time. Yeah, it needs a lot of upgrades. The question is, are all these enough? Leaks, geeks, crown. I hope it does. I love the archetype. All right, those are my top five for Pioneer. Some cars that just missed the cuts. Third path iconoclast. You know, we talked about it in Modern. You can also do it in Pioneer. We see more young Pyromancers played in Pioneer. Is there like an eight PZ deck in Pioneer? I'm I'm not sure, but if there is, I mean, there is your third path iconoclast. Similarly, Diabolic Intent. Putting it as an honorable mention here because Sacrifice decks, which is I think the only realistic home for this card. At least Sacrifice is a thing in Pioneer. That's a known strategy. We don't have to invent it from scratch like Aspiring Spike did yesterday in Modern. You could conceivably, you know, have a Rakdos sack deck in Pioneer and upgrade it somehow with Diabolic Intent getting Cyborg Bullets, maybe. And finally, Audacity. Uh, this is the Ranker variant. It's a pretty boring card for what is ultimately a boring deck, just a green-white hexproof. But it's a clean upgrade there, so you know we should at least acknowledge it here. I think uh, Transmogrant's Crown deserves a mention somewhere here. I feel like it's a, definitely not a piece of equipment that's going to be good enough for modern, but this is the quote-unquote fixed skull clamp. Really fixed skull clamp? Yeah. On all regards. <laughs> by, by the way, when someone says fixed skull clamp, I expected it to draw two cards, and it doesn't. So... That's a whole thing. Exactly, exactly. That's what I mean. It's like super fixed. Yeah. Um, we were talking about it the other day, by the way. The reason that Skull Clamp draws two cards was not a mistake uh, in terms of uh, execution, because it was especially it was specifically made as an homage to Bequeathal, which was an aura, which the point of the aura was... You're kidding. No. Th- this no is way. this is on Mark, Ro- <laughs> this is on Mo- Mark Rosewater's podcast at some point. He he was one of the people who, oh who designed Skull Clamp. Um, the uh, wow. the people who were in charge of balancing the cards were the ones who broke it by making it plus one, minus one. But it was meant to be an homage to Bequeathal, and nobody ever asked the question, <laughs> well, with Bequeathal, the point of it was that when your creature and your aura die, that's why you draw two cards. And nobody said, you know, the equipment doesn't die. That's the point of equipment. Why are we drawing two cards? It should be one. Nobody asked that question. Instead, someone was like, plus one, plus one. Aw, plus one, minus one. That's cute. Amazing yeah. stuff. <laughs> Maybe instead of flavor text, we're supposed to, like, add the line, sacrifice cold clamp. Yeah, could be. Could be. It kind of makes sense, right? Flavorfully. Um, anywho, so uh, Transmogon's Crown might be good enough for uh, Pioneer as well. And just an honorable mention, because it's right next to it for me, is Arms Race. Um, just because it's almost... No, really? No, just because it's almost... Listen, I have big dreams sometimes. And in my head, the activated cost of this is a single red mana because it's sneak attack. Um, (laughs) So I don't think we talked about it. How is that in your dreams? Sell me on your dreams. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying it's one of those things where I started reading this and then I read it and I went, so this activates for a single red, right? It it doesn't. But it's just one of those things where, where I see it and I go... I have big dreams. I don't know what you want to put into play with this thing. Four to cast, four to activate, sneak attack for artifacts. Correct. If you put in a uh, portal to Phyrexia at the end of your opponent's turn, they would sacrifice three permanents, uh, three creatures, and you would get a reanimation effect on your turn. Okay. 
I'm just saying that there are gross things you can do with this, right? Put in the Sundering Titan. You get okay. to destroy ten lands up to. Did we put Portal to Phyrexia in a, or it was even mentioned in Impactful in Modern? Uh, we did not. Uh, it might be. Okay. No, it, it is on my overrated list, if that's what we could talk about it there. So stay tuned well, for Well, we're going to get there. We're going to get there, but before we do, we've got a list of most excited to brew. Yeah, so we talked about the good cards, the most impactful cards. Now let's talk about the nonsense. These are the cards that excite me personally, and I'm curious to hear what cards you would have on your personal lists. For me, I mean, no surprise, I've mentioned these already, but number one, Drafna, founder of Latnam. Get yourself a Kinnon, get yourself a Mox Amber, and you can just start looping all the way to Combo Town. All you need is any fourth piece of your choice, and with these four pieces in place, you'll be unstoppable. What is that fourth piece? Is it Teething Wormlet? Is it Altar of the Brood? Is it the Serenth Steel Seeker? Who knows? But I love Draft I love how cheap it is, and I love how it's just like, hey, do you want a combo? Let's try it. It's just a card that screams combo. Right. And I'm a fan of all these things because they all work into the same, like, Hullbreaker Horror Mox Amber deck. Exactly. Like, exactly. It's another piece of the puzzle. We're getting there. We're getting there, Dan. Exactly. And draft is like a two-mana Hullbreaker Horror. How about that? There's a hot take. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> it does the same thing as Hullbreaker Slow Horror. Slow down! For just two mana. Slow down. So one-mana Hullbreaker Horror, that's the new take? That's what you're going for? Exactly. Uh, number two, I have Scrapwork Mutt, a card that I also think is the third most impactful card in Modern. So, yeah, I gotta put my money where my mouth is. I will be building said Vengevine deck. Similarly, Phyrexian Dragon Engine, uh, that's also on the list of cards I'm very excited for because, you know, I love the Oxygonus. So I'm definitely going to be working on Scrapwork Mutt and Phyrexian Dragon Engine. Fourth on my personal list, uh, Mord, you and David pegged it exactly right, the Serenth Steelseeker, the one in a green <laughs> squire. Anytime artifact ETBs for you, you get to explore for, well, it's not quite explore. You look explore at the top without card. the plus one, plus one counter. That's it, yeah. So if it's a land on top of your deck, you get the land. If it's anything else, you can surveil it away if you want to. What do you do with that? I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe I'll start with like a green-black Asmo food deck and just see what happens. That that makes a lot of artifacts and likes having stuff in the graveyard. So it might be like a little too dirtily, but it's too irresistible for me to just ignore it. And rounding out my top five, the perennial behemoth. Weird little card. Uh, it's like, what, two, seven? Is that right? For five? <laughs> Let's you play lands from the graveyard. Yeah, it's a two seven. It's a Ramunap excavator, yeah. But it has unearth for GG. Unearth for GG. So you could unearth it, play an extra land from your graveyard. So even right there on the unearth, you're you're getting actual card advantage off the unearth. Attack for two, why not? You temporarily have this clunky artifact in play, which you can use for something if you want. I think David has a list that we'll talk about next show that tries to take advantage of that. I love game pieces like this that just have weird stats that ask you to do something a little sideways. I mean, how much time do we waste on Slogurk and self-mill lands packages? That's exactly what Perennial Behemoth is asking you to do as well. So I love the space this is playing in. I have no idea if it's good. I also have a love for these kind of effects. And it's kind of cool to have a um, another artifact. This is an artifact creature that is uh, Crucible. And that that's interesting, rather than uh, Ramen Excavator or the 
lackluster crucible itself correct all right so that's my top five but what about you guys i mean you don't have to have a formal list but other cards that are like you're gonna start on these cards first i mean the first thing i want to do uh, i'm going to attempt it probably at least two leagues is i want to do the achievement unlocked and uh meld urza lord protector and the Mightstone stone weak stone <laughs> I just, I just want to do <laughs> it. That, I just yeah. want to have Urza Planeswalker in play in a game of Modern. Okay. So that that's just going to be like, that is the entire point of the deck. And uh, I'm going to assume that at that point, this card, which I really haven't read, uh, is going to be good enough to win the game. I don't think anybody has read the backside of Urza. Nobody knows what that card does. No, no. I think, I, I, I think if I start thinking, I got saved by heart. I think I know it. Oh, more do you know the whole text? Uh, what else? Okay, more do you have the rest of it? Do you have the rest of it? I'm looking at it now, so tell no, me. No notes. Tell me what he does. <laughs> no, no. So, so I think it is eight mana CMC. It enters with seven, and you may activate twice. Plus two reduces cost by two, and you gain one life. Plus one, you'll draw two discard. Oh, make two one one artifacts. Minus three vindicate. Minus ten, you destroy all non-land permanents, and your stuff gains indestructible. Yeah, that's pretty pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Wow. Yep. I have no way of verifying whether that's true or not. I have not read the back of the card. I'm looking, I'm looking at the card right <laughs> okay. now. I, I, can, I can tell you that Mord has essentially gotten every single mode right. There's a few details that are not worth mentioning that he that he fudged, but... Yeah, yeah, there might be different points of life gain. I, I, some stuff I was, like, flying yeah, off yeah, the yeah. handle. That, that doesn't... Don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It, it. The point is, that was basically correct. And I don't... I don't no, if that's good enough to win a game, but I'm certainly I just I want to have it in play. I just want to do it. Mightstone Weakstone is an interesting card in and of itself uh, to me. So, oh, I agree. Yeah. Why are we not getting Mishra to play? Because Mishra sucks again. I'm really annoyed about it. I, I I can't even begin to describe how annoyed I am that like once again Mishra's gotten not just one card but multiple cards, all of which are terrible. Uh, although Mishra Tamer of Makfawa that gives each artifact card in your graveyard unearth, that's pretty cool. I mean, which is the Mishra with Mel? What did that one do? Oh, it's a, it's a combat guy. That one's like three, five for four, I think. And when you attack, it drains. Yeah, it drains equal to the number of attacking creatures. That's it. Oh, okay. It, it's, it's, it is a black red, like aggro card. Okay, sucks, sucks. Okay, yeah, like I, I, I'm so upset that there is not a Grixis artifact themed Mishra that doesn't suck. Yeah, it's so frustrating. If I Ursa Blitzwalker gets binding and remove the binding, I get back both cards separated. Correct. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So I get my ETB second. That's nice. Yeah, although the the one side of Urza doesn't have an ETB, but the Mightstone and Weakstone do. No, no, but the Mightstone and. Uh, yeah, that, that one has one where you're going to, was it draw two, probably? Or kill something. Uh, yeah. And then you can just meld it again and, and just go again. So Urza melds, what else is on your list? Uh, my list is probably mostly just uh, the, just big artifacts in general. So Portal to Phyrexia. <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Uh, the um, Cityscape Leveler, I believe that was the name of it, right? Yeah. Um, and any of the other large artifacts that I've missed, um, just because they're they're <laughs> sweet. Like third path iconoclast, 
is going to be something that a lot of very good players are brewing with, and I just don't feel like I need to intrude on their space. I'll, I'll, I'll check out those decks once they have won the challenge with them. You will fight your own battles. Yeah, well, exactly. It's like, who who else is going to like try to cast a Skitterbeam Battalion? <laughs> I love the Battalion, though. It's cool! I kind of love casting that for Prototype, and then... Yeah, that's six devotion right there. So if you have twelve yeah, play, if you have um, NX hardened by the four, yo, now we're talking. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. more red devotion deck. That's a more red devotion card that's colorless. It, it single handedly turns on all of your red gods. <laughs> Ragavan turn one, Clothis turn two, Skitterbeam Battalion turn three. Turn three. <laughs> Does that work? And you attack with the Clothis. What are they going to do? <laughs> <laughs> they can't handle the Clothis in the red zone. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. The thing is, it's really annoying to deal with those three idiots. And if one or two survive, the amount of devotion you will get is insane. Right. Like, you can't ending them. You can do a lot of stuff to them. I mean, that might be, yeah, fun enough to try. Fanatic Amogus, that's the one. It domes them for yeah, the devotion yeah, to that's right. That's the card. <laughs> yeah, the format of Fortune. And you can even play your, what is it, the the shaman that, that doubles your shamans? Oh, God. The something prodigy? <laughs> no, 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 no. You're lost in the sauce. Yeah, we're lost in the sauce. But, but uh, Mort, do you have any top picks for things that you want to brew with? So, as the creatures guy in this Discord, because you're all fiercely combo players, and I have officially became a goblin player over the past 48 hours. Then you have not been watching my slow decline job just a Gobos player. I have played a lot <laughs> of goblins in the past three days. Zach has, saw some, has seen some of it. And I've enjoyed every moment. I, I was just glad that it's one of the decks that I thought of when you were looking for a new one. So I think the first thing I'm going to do is play the really bad Pioneer Elf deck that's trying to combo off the good old Dungeon Gwena combo. The what combo? Collected company into Buena plus a Cedirac and tap with the game with any cost reducer. Oh my god. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so we deliberately did not talk about that card because I think it's garbage. But Gwena, two and a green, two, three taps for two mana to cast creatures. It also untaps itself whenever you cast a creature with power five or greater. Is that right? Yeah, and you get a plus one plus one counter on it. And then Asurak, the Archlich, happens to have five power and happens to bounce itself to your hand. So all you need to do to make that go infinite is somehow reduce the cost of Asurak by one. Oh, God. Which there are a bunch of ways yeah, to but do. You can play beautiful cards like Gorgor. No, but don't do this to yourself. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, I'll watch you torture yourself. No, don't so do it. It's I'm banking myself on the power of reducers for two. Which, instead of giving me infinite dungeons, are going to give me infinite mana, which is a lot easier to win with the elves. Sure. Okay, good. Love that. Don't do the... Don't play a Serac. I'm going to play... So most of our users, I'm going to attempt them to win two mana, like Gorklo. So that in that way, I don't have to die on the, on the stream doing it. Right. I think Bergy could do it, if you want to just have company hits. Bergy does it, but Bergy does it the painful way. I mean, it's all painful. You're talking about venturing into the dungeon. Yeah, like three hundred times. I just, <laughs> I just, what? I just. To be clear, I'm someone who will happily play Urza Thopter Sword. I will happily play Hullbreaker Horror Combo <laughs> on Magic Online. I, you could not, you could not get me to play this venture into the dungeon combo. I will not do it. 
I mean, I love introducing to the I, I used to be a poker player. With... No, yeah, normally. Not 80 times. No, in, in initiative is sort of the annoying way. No, this is much, much worse than the initiative. I don't know what the initiative is, but it can't be worse than this. <laughs> if I see an initiative card, I'm going to eat it. All right, more anything else besides that nonsense combo? So besides the beautiful nonsense for the popper players, I'm super excited. I mean, I'm super sad for all the other popper players. I'm super happy for me because Poppertron is back. It was my far my favorite deck in the format, and it sucks for everybody else. But we got a reprint of a band card that's better than the band one. It's not better. You're talking about um, the fixed prophetic prism? Energy refractor or pendant prism, yeah. Why is that better than the prophetic prism? Because it doesn't tap. Um, when you are playing popper um, in games 2 and 3, once you start getting into more mana-intensive cards, or pip-intensive, mana stops being an issue, and color pips are. But in the early game, it's giving you a bad rate, right? It's 2 mana in for 1 mana out. Yeah, but early game, you don't need that much mana. Early game, you're not fixing because you don't have Tron. You don't have Tron until turn 5 or 6. You're playing like a slow control deck with Taplands. You go like turn 1 Taplands, turn 2 Tronland, turn 3 Tronland, use the color mana from the Taplands, turn 4 Taplands, turn 5 Tron. And it's not on that turn 5 where you're going to start needing a lot of mana. I also at this point want to uh, point out that they made a, I'm going to say, very large change in the way collector number worked in this set. If you sort the set by collector number, artifacts with colored costs or activations are grouped with their color, but at the end of the color? Not only that, there's an artifact without any color activation or cost that's with the blue card. What? Why? And let me find it. Let me, because, because it makes sense. Let me find it. It makes sense. Does it? Sort Does of. Does it? Sort Come of. On now. Sort of. Let me find it, let me find it. But I knew, I, I forgot about this topic, but it just gave me the perfect way to mention it. Oh, there it is. Coastal Bulwark. Because it gets plus two plus zero yes! as long as you control an <laughs> island. I'm so upset. I'm so annoyed. <laughs> I'm so annoyed by this. It's just, uh, I can't. Anyway. All right, any other cars you guys are excited to brew before we get to our overrated section? Hmm. I think that I think those were my fun shenanigans. Uh, I'm very interested in the fact that they said there was only one colored artifact in this entire set, and it sucks. So which one is the colored artifact? The temporal anchor. Oh yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's that it? bad. It doesn't do anything. It's super bad. It draws you two cards a turn. For for, for a six mana legendary six mana. artifact, it doesn't do anything. You're gonna draw me two cards on ETV plus kill a creature and then go home and kiss my mother goodbye. <laughs> it has to do all the tasks in order for me to pay six mana. You know what? You know what's a six mana colored artifact that's worth playing? Bolus is Citadel. That's worth playing. You can win an entire plate of like a tray of cookies delivered to your door. With that card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It does kiss the homies goodbye. Right. Good night. Yeah. It does everything you needed to do. This doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs> well, maybe that's a good segue to the overrated <laughs> section. Closing out here, gotta throw some pot shots out there. You know, your favorite card sucks, that kind of thing. That's you the gotta idea do it. here. I have no idea what people actually think about these cards. You gotta stir the pot, Dan. Exactly. 
I've got five cards here that are overrated. So if you like these cards, <laughs> I'm coming for you. I'm talking about you. Starting these off with Diabolic Intent. <laughs> Seeing a lot of opinions, like, they start off their explanation with, well, tutors are always good, and this is whatever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We got to stop right there. This is not true. Tutors are not always good. And in fact, tutoring at sorcery speed has been shown to be quite, quite bad. Like, there are no playable sorcery speed tutors. Profane tutor is like, okay, that's, that's all we're talking about here. Even Demonic Tutor would not be that amazing of a card. I'll just come out and say that. No. No, it wouldn't be. It's a huge tempo cost. The, the only way you can do it is if you're like going to win the game that turn. So we can make this like a Demonic Tutor if we're in some kind of Sacrifice Synergy deck. Even then, we have to be careful. We have to make sure that whatever we're tutoring for is worth the extra two mana. Because if not, we should have just cast a Deadly Dispute or a Village Rides. Mm-hmm. I think it goes the other way around. I think you have to make sure that whatever card you get is a lot better or is significantly better than the extra card and the treasure. So it's better than two random cards from your deck and a treasure every single time. Which is not easy for a card to do. There are ways to do that. The trick about it is that most of the decks that are trying to do that already have better tools. So, for example, Yogmoth is already playing Court of Calling and... Uh... Eldritch. Eldritch Evolution. And those are much, 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 much better than this card at doing the thing. So much better. So with all those caveats out there, if you want to brew with this, that's that's fine. I'm okay with that. You may even succeed. I'm going to do it. Like the spike deck, the aspiring spike deck that we were talking about earlier, it checks the boxes, right? It's a sacrifice synergy deck. It's using Diabolic Intent to win the game, right? Not just make treasures, but actually trying to assemble a game-winning combo or kind of cruelty plus persist, basically. That's what you have to do. You have to be like, okay, I'm actually tutoring for something that wins the game and, you know, the cost is not too high because I'm already playing fodder. So if you can do that, sure, go nuts. But if you're not doing that, like, you will be disappointed by Diabolic Intent. Second card that's vastly, vastly overrated, Phyrexian Flesh Gorger. Every time I think, oh, you know, people aren't that high on this, I like go back on Reddit or something and I I browse the comments and like, oh my God, what are people seeing in this card? Even talking to David about it, he's like, well, one black, black, three, three, lifelike menace. Like that's good. That is not good. That is not good. I don't know why we think that is good. There is a card called Kuneros, Hound of Athreos, three mana, menace, lifelink, and vigilance and relevant graveyard hate that sees zero play anywhere. Like, we, we've seen this before. These stats are not good, and the ward just being life, I mean, that's not what ward should be. Ward should be mana or a card. I mean, it makes sense in uh, Black Aggro decks that the ward being life is something that those people care about, but you're right, this is, like, frequently talked about without context. It's just like, look how great this is. It's like, it's just not. You really need the three life to hurt. Like, you really need to be in an aggressive shell for that war to be relevant. So let's say I'm playing black aggro. Do I really care if my three drop has lifelink or not? No, you can do... You can, the, 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 you can do a lot better than three three minus lifelink. The, the problem is you can clearly do better than this, right? There are graveyard trespassers in this world. So for me, I just don't see this at all. Yeah, it's no, it's, it's no worm coil engine. So that's number two on my overrated list. Number three overrated card, Arcane Proxy. <laughs> Sorry, David. I did put it on the most impactful for Pioneer out of deference to David, but I, I just don't see what this card actually does. 
specifically in modern, like you can cast your crashing footfalls, but I really don't think you should. Like it's taking a slot away from another cascade spell in that instance. In Pioneer, I mean, yes, this is the first Snapcaster effect, but outside of exactly see the truth, I don't think that a three three mana two one body that casts like a consider is is anything special. Yeah, the if you cast a clause really nails this thing because otherwise it would be kind of interesting in something like I don't know, glimpse of tomorrow. But it won't be. Exactly, exactly. Right? Every cool thing you're thinking of. And you're like, oh, that's right, actually, that doesn't work, <laughs> because it doesn't, it doesn't do anything if you didn't cast it. So it's, it's just a surprisingly fair mechanic, the prototype mechanic. Like, it's just MDFCs in disguise. It's just hidden MDFCs, yeah, 100%. Number four overrated card, this one's for you, Mord, it's Portal to Phyrexia. I get why people like this. Nine mana, big impressive artifact, and we're always looking for impressive artifacts that are not nerfed by an if you cast it clause. Portal to Phyrexia seems to be the biggest such card, but I just don't think it does enough. I think in some matchups it will do literally nothing. Like ETB kills three creatures, but not every matchup has creatures to kill. Then once your payoff, you get to rebuy one creature a turn. It's not like God Pharaoh's gift. They're not big. They're just whatever, like whatever you have, that's what you get. If you had a Citrus Supplier, you get, you get a 1-1 back. So I don't, think this card is going to be like the slam dunk that people are expecting when they build their decks around it. Yeah, I, I, I agree on that part. I feel like if it said um, Creature or Planeswalker on both halves, then we're talking, but it doesn't. It would be a lot better, yeah. Yeah, that's not the world we live in, so good good luck. Well, more do you see like there's some potential for this? I think there might be some shape of new Bruce popping up, but I don't know if they will be good because of exactly that. The thing is, however, in modern, most decks are creature-based. At least, like, the huge majority of them. Yeah, that that's definitely true. The The thing is, like, this doesn't do anything against burn. You race this out, you're like, oh, okay. Guess I died. Yeah, but but against Vortide, against Tamer, against Creativity. Because Creativity is going to have an arc in the graveyard 80% of the games. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong, but then, like, some of these other things you've listed, like Hammer Time, it's like, yeah, I I guess you could do this, but then they can just have Inkbot. Like, I'm not saying... No, no, I mean, you make them suck three, and the chests that are playing these are like four Furies, four Solitude, then you yeah. are getting back your five mana stuff. That's the real thing that I think is worth pointing out here, is uh, that the brews that I have seen proposed uh, do have a very interesting angle of playing their own pitch creatures that end up in the graveyard and that are good to reanimate. So. If your opponent's creatures are not good, it means they're going to be like a creature deck and you can just start getting back a bunch of your pitch elementals every single turn. Correct. And whether that's good enough or not, that remains to be seen. But at least that is a, a an important point, is that I don't think you're going to see any um, like indomitable creativity decks that are trying to get this into play and have no other creatures in them. That I don't think that that's a successful way to brew this. No, that's a mistake. Then you just get Aragorn, I think. So this is only with Shape and you. Like, is the advantage of having creatures worth the disadvantage of having this over Aragorn? Right. Or some other way that she didn't play. Uh, Trash for Treasure is uh, a way to yeah. do that. All right, last card to call out here. Titania, Voice of Gaia. This is the meld card, and 
I gotta say, I fully support people who just want to meld to Titania and just do the thing, climb the mountain because it's there. Why not? That's sweet. Build those decks. But I don't think we should go into that expecting Titania herself to be a good card. Three mana for three, four reach gains life when lands go to the graveyard. That to me is just like not enough. It's no endurance. It's definitely not endurance. I mean, it has endurance stats, right? That's what people say, but it doesn't have right. flesh, first of all. <laughs> That's huge. It doesn't clear their graveyard. Uh... Correct. So I don't know. I mean, what, what do you guys think? Like, is Titania going to overperform? I felt the same way about Shieldred, and I was very wrong about that. Maybe this is just beefy enough, and it affects life totals enough. I mean, the Shieldred talk has once again shifted. As Kalistra and a few more, so the card is completely overrated. I don't think... Like, the Shieldred Mantra is back to being Kalitas. I think Shieldred is becoming rated. I, I think Shieldred is, is, is getting yeah. to the right spot where it always should have been, where it's like, this is a reasonable choice. It doesn't have an enter the battlefield trigger, but it is a very un, like difficult to solve threat that ends the game quite quickly. Yeah, so Titania, to me, overrated. And I mentioned this here because when I posted our set review, angry commenters were like, I can't believe you guys didn't talk about Titania. No, it's... And that was A, because we already talked about Titania previous yep. weeks. And B, because it's not good. <laughs> I keep reading... <laughs> Two reasons why. I keep why. reading Titania and expecting it to bring a land from the graveyard to the battlefield when it enters. Like, something... It needed a reasonable TV. It's missing something, right? It, it just feels like it's missing something. It, it's not... It's just not good enough. It follows the pattern. I mean, we should take a lesson from the pattern. Urza, Mishra, and Titania, the three meld cards. They made one of the meld cards sort of okay, like Phyrexian Dragon Engine, Might Stone, Weak Stone, and the land. Right. Those cards are all fine. Agreed. And the cost of trying to meld them is you have to play like a derpy bad legend. Urza, Mishra, Titania. Titania is a derpy bad legend by this logic. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. And I just see people like not evaluating it that way, so... I don't know. We'll see. I'm sure people will try this and maybe they'll report back soon with their findings. I want to see screenshots of uh, Titania, uh, uh, Titania Gaia Incarnate. I want to see it. I want to see it in play. I support that part of doing the thing. When I was younger, I, I very much decried the value of being a Timmy uh, and finding joy in just, Timmy. in just doing the thing. And uh, when I got older, I realized that's what life is so much about. Is just just doing the thing and getting that smile on your face. It's so good. So if that's what you want to do, you go do it. And I am excited to see it. All right. So that's our top fives show. Top five for modern. Top five for pioneer. Top five to brew with. And top five overrated. Guys, what do you think? Did we miss anything? Any final shoutouts? Cards you want to rally for one last time? One card I hadn't considered, I'm gonna play a bit because it's just the perfect more card is the Combat Thresher. Not sure where, not sure the format. Yeah, so I wanted to hear your opinion on this. We covered it earlier, but I really wanted your opinion on it. I think this is like the perfect design for a prototype card, right? Like it really shows you what you want to do with it. It really wants you to play this as a country, a small body attach, and then get a big body attach with another draw. I really like the card. I don't know where you fit it, though. That's my bigger issue. Yeah, but that's that's the interesting thing to solve, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I want to look. I don't know if it's in Modern, I don't know if in Pioneer. The fact it's that it can't get in with Bial or Coco is super annoying. Like, that's the biggest issue. I mean, how about this? 
Shape anew for combat thresher. <laughs> Draw a card. Draw a card, put a 3-3 into play, concede. I mean, in that case, though, at least you get to play four combat threshers in your deck. Exactly. Oh, all the threshers. <laughs> yeah. Do, Look at do the some, value. Do some threshing. I'm going to do some threshing. Like, do you not... I mean, I feel like at some point someone's going to 5-0 with uh, mono-white taxes, just, just playing four of this card and four ephemerates. Like, is oh, that... Yeah. Seems completely possible. Yeah. It's like the new Miran Crusader. Right. Is it good? No. It's not the greatest thing, but it's not bad. It'll kill people sometimes. No, it's not terrible at all. It's super annoying for some decks. Oh, it's, yeah, it's like um, how they would play their red Acroma. They right. would morph it and then Flicker Wisp it. And let me tell you something. You see all those chains? Do you know how many sword of X and X, X and Y, you can attach to those things? This thing can hold a lot you know, of swords, baby. How many swords? <laughs> yeah. How many swords I can carry with these? These unendingable, unpushable creature. This is like General Grievous. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's whipping them all around. Exactly. Uh, somebody get a get a uh, altar going. Mr. Kenobi. Get a sick altar going where uh, you get uh, General Grievous on the combat <laughs> thresher. And uh, this sword will make a fine addition <laughs> to my collection. Uh, we can't go down the Grievous <laughs> hole again. <laughs> Wait, did we ever go down the Grievous hole? I feel like I had a conversation with, for the with Grievous I, hole. I've gone down the Grievous hole with nerd friends about how wasted that character was in the actual like canon movies. But how good is it in the Clone Wars? Right, exactly. It's so good. Anyway, before we. All right, we better wrap this up now. Before, before we get into the Grievous hole, <laughs> I want to just slightly talk that about search engine. Oh, you do. Okay. So, do you like the card? I, I, I don't hate it. I just want to play it with Grand Architect. That is it. You just want to play Blue Steel. Exactly. <laughs> you just need an excuse to play Blue Steel. Exactly. All right. That makes sense. And if you do, you got the new Urza to play. Yeah. One of the three. Got two Urza. Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. Just one, right? <laughs> There's only one worth playing in Blue Steel. The Lord. Oh, yeah. The Lord. That, isn't that Commander? No. Okay. There's one that gives your artifact creatures plus two, plus two. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I don't want to, like, spend mana leveling up my Surge Engine, taking Defender away. That's all nonsense. I just want to play Grand Architect, play Surge Engine. Make it blue and pay six. <laughs> make it blue and pay six. That's it. That's all I right. want to do. I want to skip all the steps I can. And that makes sense. And then the fail case is you can do the slow way. You don't want to do it, but if you have to. Yeah. It's, it's there. Exactly. Yeah. All right, so I think that's it for our top five show. And with a little Magic 30 Vegas tournament report thrown in, that means that we're done with previews. That means that in our next show, we actually get to start finally brewing with these cards. And we've got a banger picked out. It is Arcane Proxy. So we'll be back with that next time. Until then, Zach, Mord, I bid you farewell. See you soon. Bye-bye. That's a wrap on this edition of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Tune in next time for new brews with Arcane Proxy, plus testing results with Vesuvian Duplomancy. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.